Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Let me start by saying thank you for praying for me. It's so good to be here today. Trust me. And I'm getting better. Thank you, bro. It was a rough couple of weeks, but uh, feeling a lot better today. So thank you. You know, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. You know what we call that? Revival. When God begins to call people to himself, it's revival. And it's transformational. And we're seeing it not just here in our church, but all over this area, and not just here in this area, but all over our nation. And really, amazing time to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's, it's stuff that I haven't seen since the Jesus Revolution of the 70s. It's really awesome to be a part of. You know, you hear about the Asbury Revival. You hear about things going on at Texas A&M. The movie, The Jesus Revolution, is out right now. I haven't been able to see it, but I plan to go see it because I'm a product of the Jesus Revolution. I mean, it was those guys and the influence of those teachers and that music, Randy Stonehill and Barry McGuire and, you know, Chuck Gerard and Keith Green and those guys who shaped my worship and who shaped my understanding of music. I love revivals, real revivals, authentic revivals. Uh, uh, revivals where people's lives are changed. In fact, I, I surrendered to ministry at a J. Strack revival in 1978. It has left a mark on me. And that's what we see happening here is real, authentic revival. But you know, I have to tell you, sometimes I'm a little leery of some what we call revivals because, you know, we can see how the Holy Spirit does it. And then at times we can want to replicate what the Holy Spirit does. And we call it revival, but it's really not. Um, we, it, we'd like for it to be revival, but it just isn't the same. And you're like, well, what's the difference between what we would call contrived revival and authentic revival? And the answer is really simple. One word, change. When revival is authentic, people's lives are changed. When revival is contrived, they can seem to change, but they really don't. I kind of compare it to uh, when I was a little kid, we used to collect these uh, what we call locust skins. They really weren't locust skins. They were cicada skins. But for some reason, where I grew up, they called cicadas locusts. Did they do that here? I was like 50 years old before I realized a cicada is not a locust. I'm like, they lied. My parents lied to me, you know. A locust is a grasshopper that lost his mind, got a tattoo, and joined a gang. That's a locust. A cicada is a big fat bug that spends 13 or 17 years of its life underground sucking on roots and then comes out for about three days, sheds its skin, makes a lot of racket, makes some new baby cicadas, and then dies. Like a 70s rock band, you know? (laughs) Same, Same kind of thing. That's a cicada. When I was a little kid, we'd play with the, you know, the shell of the cicada skin. And we'd, you know, hang them on our shirts and we'd gather them and collect them and we'd put them on our finger and try to make them act like a ring and all. And I know it's kind of gross, you know, you're saying, you guys played with like dead bug skin and it's like, hey, Xbox wasn't out. I mean, that's all you got, right? You you do what you can. Hey, let's go find some dead bug skins and let's play for a while. And sometimes when I think about contrived revivals, the idea of those cicada skins comes back to mind because that's what happens. 
Uh, a well-intentioned speaker like me will come out and try to produce what only the Holy Spirit can produce. And maybe in, uh, in, in his good intentions, he presses a little too hard, crosses that line into manipulation. Emotions are running high. Conviction is in the air. And, and yet the Holy Spirit's not really doing the work. And, and uh, you know, what really happens instead of authentic, transparent change, you see, you know, superficial shedding of some skin. And pastors, you know, like me, they get excited. Revivals happen. And so they gather up all these cicada skins and and they say, hey, look what we had, a revival. And they put them all on their church roll. And, you know, here's, here's something some people don't know. You know, cicada skins can be on church rolls. In fact, some churches are full of them. I mean, it seemed like a revival, but it was really only skin deep. I was in a church one time that, that struggled to run 200 on a Sunday morning, but they had 1,300 on their roll. In a town of 3,600, a third of the people in the community were on that church roll. Cicada skins, empty shells that had shed a layer of skin at some meeting and maybe it even gotten baptized, but real change never really happened. What's the difference between authentic revival and everything else? And the answer is, change. What's the, what's the difference between your experience with God and everything else? The answer is change. You cannot come into the presence and power of the authentic God of creation and not be changed by that. And it becomes a permanent, lasting, evolving change. So I want to talk about that this morning. Let's talk about real change. Because I want to drill down on this and make sure that we know what this thing is really all about. And so the first question I want to deal with is, let's talk about what faith really is and how that affects our change. Because this is, these are things that are so important to remember. And the first thing is this, real faith produces change. And, and to get at that, i, I got to talk about faith for just a second. So here's a question. Um, and the question is this, what is required of salvation? Now, if you've been under the gospel, you should immediately know the answer to that. The answer to that is faith, right? Believe. Faith is just the noun form of the verb believe, that I believe, and, and in believing, I come into contact with the Lord of creation, and He changes my life, right? And so faith becomes the primary vehicle of salvation. Paul was so clear on this. And he pointed to this in, uh, in, in referencing Abraham in Romans chapter 4, verse 3. He says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was, look at this word, credited to him. It's an accounting term, legizomai. It means that he has declared you to be the righteousness of Christ by virtue of your faith. When that thief on the cross said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus said, today I say to you, you'll be in paradise with me. Now, did that thief on the cross do anything to earn that? Obviously not. 
He didn't have the opportunity to. And, and Alistair Begg does a real uh, funny bit on this. He says the guy shows up in heaven and the angels are like, why are you here? And he's like, I don't know. I was told to come. And they're like, well, did you get baptized? And he's like, uh, no. And they said, well, do you know anything about the doctrine of justification? And he said, no. Do you know anything about the doctrine of the inerrancy of Scripture? No. He said, what do you know? I don't know anything. Then why are you here? Because the guy told me to come. So they go get the head angel and they say, why are you here? And he said, because the guy on the middle cross told me I could be here. And that's all it takes. It's faith. It's faith alone. And, and this is repeated throughout the Bible. Romans 1 verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Faith is all you need, nothing else. And you don't add one ounce of works in order to achieve salvation. But here's a question we seldom ask. What is faith? I mean, faith is what we need for salvation, but what exactly is faith? What does it mean to believe? Is it agreeing to a set of propositions? Am I asked uh, questions, check yes or no, you know? I mean, go to James. Let me show you something that, that may rock your world a little bit. James takes the same illustration that Paul used of Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, only he uses it in an exact opposite way. First, he talks about the, the time that God had told Abraham to sacrifice his son. God had given Abraham the promise through his son Isaac. And then Isaac comes, it's a blessing of God. And uh, when the boy grows up and, and becomes a young child, uh, God tests Abraham's faith by saying, you know, go sacrifice your son. And Genesis 22, I believe it is, he takes him up the mountain. Um, Isaac's like, where's the sacrifice? He says, God will provide the sacrifice. And just as Abraham's about to kill his own son, God stays his hand and says, you've demonstrated your faith to me. And, and James points out in that, that faith was working with works. In fact, he says his faith was completed or perfected or authenticated through works. The reality of his faith showed up in his obedience to the call. And then James goes back around to what Paul had done, James 2, 23, and it says, And Scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see, a man is justified, and this is the part that rattles our world. A man is justified by works and not by faith alone. I'm like, wait a second. Paul just said the opposite of that over in Romans 4. And now here James seems to be saying that it's, it's not just about faith alone, it's about works too. You feel the needle kind of sliding across the record right there? He just used the same example of Abraham, but seemed to say the exact opposite thing. How do we deal with this? I mean, do we, do we rip out that part of the Bible? Do we rip out that part of the Bible? There's a seeming contradiction here that we have to resolve. And it's really a simple thing if you think about it. The two men were answering two different questions. And you have to understand that. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul was asking the question, what must I do to be saved? And the answer was faith. Paul said, God made a promise to Abraham. Abraham believed God declared him righteous. And his point was that happened before circumcision. Before circumcision, that was important because the Jews who were reading this believed that circumcision was entree into the covenant, and this happens before circumcision. It also happens anywhere from 600 to 350 years before Moses, depending on how you date Moses, before Moses was given the law. So before the law, before circumcision, before the whole Jewish system, salvation comes by grace through faith. That was Paul's point. What must I do to be saved? Faith. 
You can't earn His approval through your performance. Two verse, Ephesians 2 verse 8, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not as the result of works that no one may boast. So why would James seem to say otherwise? Well, James isn't asking the same question. He's not asking the question, what must I do to be saved? James was asking the question, what is faith? Is faith simply a set of propositions that I agree to, or is it a surrender of life? Do you believe in Jesus? Check yes or no. You know, like a note from from a girl in the eighth grade. Do you love me? Yes or no. Do you believe in Jesus? Check yes or no. Yes. Did Jesus die on the cross for you? Check yes or no. Yes. All right. That must mean you're a Christian. Well, watch watch what James says. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Hmm. Notice this, the devil checks yes on the believe box, but none of us would argue that the devil is a believer, would we? The devil believes, so it has to be more than that. James says real belief is more than agreeing, it's yielding your life, and that will change your life. Real faith changes you. You cannot be the same after a genuine experience with God. And so that brings us back around. If change demonstrates authentic faith then have you changed? Are you changing? Maybe that's a better way of saying it. Because if there is no change, then there was no change. I'll let you think about that for a second. It's all about the change. 2 Corinthians 5.17, so then if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. That old has passed away. Look what is new has come. You're not the same. You're a new creature. And so real faith produces change. The next question then is, what should I expect to change? What should I be expecting to change? You know, I've been flat on my back for about 16 days, so I've had a lot of time to think. And, uh, you know, as I'm pondering this idea, obviously behavioral things come to mind, like I should change the way I talk. You know, I I should stop cussing. I I should change the way the movies I look at. I should change, you know, and it all becomes sort of superficial, But really, the change is more fundamental. Here's the first thing that has to change, that changes the moment you come to Christ. You get a heart change. And you should should expect your heart to change. Ezekiel 11, verse 19, and he, he really uses this illustration twice. This is the first of two times. And I will give them a singleness of heart. I I just love that idea. You know, because our hearts get so torn apart and they get so divided and we give pieces of it here, there, and everywhere. And our, our hearts are just fragmented. And, and if there's one mark of the modern culture of postmodernism, it's a fragmentation of the spirit and the soul. He said, I'm going to give you a singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. And I will take away their stony, stubborn heart. I, I love that idea, you know, as our, as our hearts go through life and they're injured and they, they, uh, you know, they scar over, or, or, if they're, or if they're convicted, they paralyze that conviction and they become stony. And we, we, we reach a point where we no longer even feel the, the movement of God among us. And he says, I'm going to take away that stony, stubborn heart, and I'm going to give them a tender, responsive heart. New American Standard says, I'm going to take out that heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh so that they will obey my decrees and regulations. Now, see, the behavioral stuff follows the heart transplant. 
You got it? I'm not trying to robotically try to change my actions, but it's a heart change that produces the behavioral change. And you don't mix that up and you don't get that turned around. So then they will truly be my people and I will be their God. Salvation is a heart transplant. And this, this new tenderized heart uh, has two expressions. There's a desire for holiness and there's a conviction of sin. Let me tell you something. Before I came to faith in Christ, I was pretty good at sinning. And I was well on my way to, to getting my master's degree in sin. Because what happened was, once I got to where I could deal with conviction, you see, I mean, uh, uh, my conscience, you know, God puts a conscience in all of us. And I believe that's a part of the creation so that he will draw us back to himself and we'll hear that conscience and know that something's wrong in our life. But we learn to cover over that conscience the way uh, uh, an oyster can pearlize an irritating grain of sand. And in a while we learn to where we can't even hear the conscience anymore. And, and once we do that, we can sin with impunity. That's about where I was. And that's where a lot of people are today. They're calling them moral flatliners because not only have they learned to not even respond to any sort of personal conviction, but they don't even feel it anymore. They don't even know right from wrong anymore. They can't even figure it out. And then we live in the insanity of our times. It all goes back to the heart of stone. But when the heart comes in and you get a new heart, it becomes sensitized to the holiness of God. And you begin to desire the things of God and you want to, you want to live up to what He's declared. You know, at salvation, He said, you are the righteousness of Christ. Nothing you do is going to cause me to love you more. Nothing you do is going to cause me to love you less. I'm satisfied in you because I'm satisfied in my son, and you have my son in you. Well, if God says that about me, then I want to live that, and my new heart will desire that. At the same time, I'm going to be sensitized to the things that are not what God would want in my life, to the sin, and begin to be convicted about the sin. I can no longer sin the way I used to because every time I do it, I hate myself and hate my sin. And I'll tell people sometimes that one of the key things to understanding whether or not your salvation was real, has your relationship to sin changed? If your relationship with sin hasn't changed, then your heart didn't change. Second thing is your mind changes. It's hard to describe, but you find yourself hungering to learn more about God. Romans 12, verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you come into Christ, you get a mind change. Now, I think this is one of those that starts at salvation, but it, 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 it increases over time. And what happens is you begin to hunger for the things of God. You know, the psalmist said, as the, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul thirsts for thee, O God. And you're wanting the things of God and you want to know the mind of Christ. And so there's a hunger for the word and you begin to strive and, and thirst and, and desire and long for the word, hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God and your mind not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by its renewing in the Word of God. And that's another telltale sign of what happens when you're in Christ. And I'm hearing stories about you guys in meeting during the week. That's really, for me, that's validating. Because it says it wasn't just a weekend event. But now I'm in the Word. You know, every one of us in the Word every day. Start, i tell you something that will change your life. Spend five minutes a day in God's Word. Five minutes, start with five. 
Give him five. I guarantee it'll, it'll grow from there. Give him five. Take a pen. Don't try to read the whole thing. I don't even recommend reading the Bible through because people, they start reading the Bible through in Genesis and then they get lost in Leviticus and we got to send a search party in to find them because they're waving doves over their head and they don't know what they're doing. And it's like, don't do that. <laughs> you know, read the book of John. Read the book of Romans. Read the book of Ephesians. You know, and read slowly and make notes in your Bible. That Bible was meant to be written in and, and write. And someday you're going to scratch those out and go, that was dumb. And you'll, and you'll put something else in. You know, I've got an old Bible in my office that I've had since they ordained me in 1984. And, and uh, it never leaves my office anymore because it's too tattered. And, and it's just covered up in notes of things that I've wrote. And some of it's dumb. But, you know, through that, my mind changes. And when I receive that, I receive the mind of Christ. I'll tell you another thing that's going to change is your friends are going to change. Friends are going to change. There's an interesting verse here, Romans 1.32. And although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And man, this just came alive for me. Because what happens to us about adolescence is we start longing for approval. And, and what you believe about me, think about me, begins to matter to me. And through adolescence, it becomes the most important thing. And so you get sort of driven along by the current of culture, and these kids start going the wrong direction. It may happen in junior high. It may happen in high school. It may not happen for some of you till you get to college or even after that. But somewhere along the line, you begin to long for that approval. They give hearty approval. So whatever it takes, I'm going to do that. And so they go out and party and get drunk, throw up, and run into trees. And they come back and tell you how cool it is. Oh, man, we had such an awesome time. We got drunk, we threw up, we ran into trees. And you're thinking, man, I, I can't wait till I get to do that. And one day you do. While you're doing it, you're thinking, this is miserable. I hate this. Never do this again. Then you get back the next day and somebody's talking about it. And they go, you should have seen Die, man. He was hilarious. And you're in. And they've given you hearty approval. And that begins to dominate your life. And as it dominates your life, all the other addictions that go along with that begin to dominate your life. I know a dude who was the coolest dude in the world when he was in high school. He's an all-district linebacker. He played tennis. Who does that? He actually went to college on a tennis scholarship. He was offered a small school scholarship for playing linebacker. Went and played tennis instead. That's a, that's a mix you never see. This guy was an athlete. He ran marathons. He was brilliant, made straight A's, had a thriving business. But all of his life, he was chained to that hearty approval, needed that hearty approval, needed it, needed it, and would do whatever it took to get it. And then one addiction took over after another. His, he became addicted to alcohol. His marriage failed. His, his business was in decline, and he died at 62. And I went to his funeral. And there at his funeral, all those same guys who'd always, even though they know that the things lead to death, they give hearty approval to those who do, they were still giving him hearty approval. Oh, remember how fun he was when he did this? Remember when he did that crazy thing? Remember when he was drunk over here? Remember that? And it was like I was back in the, the junior in high school. And I'm like, don't you guys realize that the things that you've approved in his life are the very things that shortened his life? But when you come into faith in Christ, the only approval you really want is the approval of King Jesus. And let me tell you something. When you want the approval of King Jesus, you're not going to want their approval anymore. And when you don't want their approval anymore, they don't want to be your friend. And that's what's going to happen to you. 
They're going to stop hanging out with you. You're like, man, I still kind of want to be their friend. When you stop doing what they approve of, those old friends will no longer approve of you. And that's just, and that's part of God's protection because he wants you to approve of other things now. Philippians 1, 9, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent. Over here, that gang of guys is approving the things that are deserving of death. And yet they not only do them, they hardly approve it. He says, I want you to approve the things that are reine. That's that highest form of work. Excellent. I want you to approve the excellent things in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Jesus Christ, the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus. Look at all the difference there. Comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. When your heart and mind change, your friends are going to change. In fact, all your relationships will change because of this last change. Your love changes. You know, there's a verse in uh, John 3 John the Baptist is talking about Jesus, and he makes this statement, he must increase, but I must decrease. When you come into Christ, he must increase while we decrease. I love that song, Jesus, because when we lift up Jesus, guess what happens? 15, 16 baptisms happen. When we lift up Jesus, when it's no longer about us, and and that changes in your love. Look, your love's got to change. I don't know how to say this, because it always comes out wrong. I can't say you need to love yourself less because we do need to approve of ourselves. We need self-esteem, all of that. I get that. I can't love you if I don't love myself. But maybe I, I don't mean you need to love yourself less. You need, to, you need to stop loving yourself most. How's that? I, I don't mean by that you need to think less of yourself. I mean you need to think of yourself less. And that's what happens when Christ increases in us and we begin to decrease. uh, Rich Mullins kind of marked me with this. He said, remember to forget yourself. Christianity isn't about self-sacrificing. It's about being self-forgetting. Forget yourself once in a while and open your eyes. And when you open your eyes and you forget yourself and you forget, it's not about me. It's not only, you know, one of the things that I saw while I was so sick over the last couple of weeks, it just made me realize what other people had been going through. I know people with cancer, they're a lot sicker than I was. And, and I was just, God, I don't think I was engaged enough in their suffering. I know people that have gone through two years of of vertigo and other things. I'm like, man, it's hard to put yourself. But when you begin to decrease a little bit and you begin to see through the eyes of Jesus, you begin to love people the way God wants you to love them. And that means you also have to love some people you haven't been loving, like your ex-wife, just saying. (laughs) Or your boss or whoever hurt you or said something about you or injured you or whatever you got to forgive them because Jesus forgave you. And that love then becomes expressed. You know what I just saw today? I don't know if y'all saw it. It was a little bit creepy, but cool. After Fitz baptized that dude, he whispered in his ear, I love you, and kissed him on the neck. Fitz, how much you weigh? He weighs 250. Played linebacker at ULM. He kissed a guy right here in front of God and everybody. (laughs) You see that? You probably didn't even know you did it, did you? 
One of the beautiful things about the retreat is love expressed. Love expressed. And we have to express that love because when we express that love, we express Jesus. Jesus said, I'm love. And when we express the love of Jesus, we reveal Jesus to this generation. And when we reveal Jesus to this generation, we get authentic revival. We don't get a bunch of cicada skins. A bunch of people who come to church and, and pretend that something happened and they got a little bit of conviction and they shed a layer of skin. We don't want that. We want authentic change. And real revival brings authentic change. Authentic faith always involves authentic change. So let me ask you that question. Have you ever changed? Maybe a better question, are you changing? You know, because some of this stuff happens immediately, and then some of it happens for the rest of our life. That's one thing, we, we never stop changing in Christ. Are you changing? Are you becoming more of Jesus and less of what you used to be? If not, if nothing's ever changed, then nothing really changed. Would you pray with me right now? Never, ever want to try to manipulate or manufacture what only the Holy Spirit does. But I do want to give you the opportunity, if you're not sure where you stand with Jesus right now, because as you look at your life, you know, it's like, I haven't really seen any change. And you want to change that today, would you just say yes to Jesus right where you are? Just, God, right in this place, this time, I give you my life. I want it to be authentic. I want it to be real. Change me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that salvation comes by grace through faith, not the result of works, that no man would boast. It is the gift of God. But Father, we understand too that real faith changes us. The old has passed away, all things are made new. Jesus said we're born again. And Father, there are people right now who hear my voice who have believed, but it never changed them. They just shed a layer of skin. And right now, your Holy Spirit is speaking into their lives and saying, now's the time, today's the day. And Father, I pray they would have the courage to just say yes to you in this moment. Just yes, Jesus. I receive you as my Savior. No matter what happened before, this time it's for real. I give my life to you. Would you just do that? Father, I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit in this place right now, and I pray you'd have freedom to move and do whatever you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.